Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Could there be poltergeists in the wilderness? In all our zany adventures, have we ever actually seen aliens? What really happened to me in Haiti in 1984? Hello and welcome to the 869th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those diverse questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. We should really have another alliteration uh, for for father. Uh, pa- uh, maybe maybe go in a, f- a different language. Papa, maybe. Don't you ever call me <laughs> Papa. <laughs> Uh, makes me think of um, American Tale. Anyway, today we bring you a much-needed open line show, which I don't remember the last time we did one. If you'd like to join us uh, on the show, you can give us a call, 401-766-1240, that's from anywhere, or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com, or you can contact us via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We can try. We can attempt uh, to. Joining us once again via Skype is a true sound for sore ears, our favorite guest co-host, Shane Searway. Uh, yeah, very strange. Anyway, let's uh, take the plunge here, at least into our uh, our question. So let's start with our. Um, we have some. We decided we're going to do two back-to-back open line shows here, so we're going to do some of the complex, longer questions. Okay. So let's begin with one from Michael in Illinois. Okie dokie. Uh, Michael writes to us. Ooh, wow, that's a big one. Oh, yeah. So let us start at the very beginning. So Michael writes, uh, I listened to one of your recent shows having to do with eternal life, uh, number 856, and it got me thinking about a number of things. I think I understand uh, the concept of the multiverse and the role of explanation uh, that provides uh, that it provides relative to spirits, ghosts, hauntings, etc., However, uh, this still leaves me with a couple of questions regarding exactly how translating to another existence uh, in another multiverse works. For example, the concept that we don't really die, but rather translate to another multiverse, uh, wouldn't we at some point cease to exist as if we die off in in the uh, various other universes or multiverses, or what happens to our consciousness slash awareness when we translate? Uh, are we suddenly aware of our existence in another life, world, multiverse when we translate? And why aren't we aware in some manner of all these other lives and various multiverses that are going all right, on? Well, why don't we take it to section one? <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for the question, Michael. Uh, the, the the key point here in my theory anyway, and the, the other fellows can, can add to this if they wish, is the simultaneity of all time, okay? And uh, when we talk about the multiverse, we often talk about the, the special theory of relativity of Albert Einstein, which came out in 1952, and he essentially found that um, the, the our experience of time, past to future, is not really objectively true. Uh, all things exist simultaneously. So couple that with the notion in quantum physics, you know, if all this is right, Couple that with the notion in quantum physics that all outcomes are not only possible, they're out there somewhere and somewhere in the multiverse. So when you translate, and when we use the word translate, we're talking about a word that we use instead of death, simply because death is probably the only thing that is not possible in the multiverse because there's so many versions or facets, as we call, uh, of you and us and all of us. Uh, really kind of one big unity. 
So I think that those are the key concepts. Um, have I answered that completely, Ben? Because you um, that is a good point. I do have it in front of me, and it, it kind of um, the question is 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 more. Um, wouldn't we at some point cease to exist as if we die off in, in other universes and multiverses? And what happens to our consciousness slash awareness when we translate? All right. Well, I want to get Shane in on this. But just before that, we, we have a concept that we call, and these are phenomena that I've observed over the last 50 years, not lately, but uh, the concept of the nexus and the phenomenon that, that kind of brought this home to me, again, if these ideas are correct, was the idea of the flashing nexus. People being literally each other and having the experience of that. And there are a number of cases in my last book uh, of, from various times and places uh, that I investigated and the people I met who actually had this experience. The nexus being the core of our consciousness Maybe all, maybe all of our, maybe the collective unconscious, as uh, um, Carl Jung was talking about. So it's it's always there. It, anything that does not have uh, an end in time always exists. Maybe this is how God exists, whatever God may be. You've got the notion that that of timelessness. That's everything. If there's no time, can you die? I don't think so. I don't know, Shane. What, what do you have to say? I don't know if this, you want to talk about some of this stuff from your own experience, but yeah, I mean, well, you always explain this topic a little bit better than I do. So, uh, but I do want to touch on when you describe the flash, flashing nexus. So, my experience um, was when I was ten, I got ill and I had a near death type of situation, and um, and I remember when when that was taking place, I not only had like a visitation, somebody there talking to me, but um, just prior to that was, I I could, like it was, it was strange, it's hard to explain, I could be and I could um, hear the thoughts of everybody in the house, all the neighbors, as far out as I wanted to go, I could, I could go and be that person and, and have their thoughts and and know what they were thinking and doing and um and and it was just like from house to house to room to room and um and it was very very uh real it, it felt so so very real and um it, I, it's it's kind of hard to explain but um that's the best way i can explain it is what happened to me during this near-death situation yeah yeah th- that makes complete sense so, so the thing michael is as far as we've gone on your question so far is the two notions of the simultaneity of all time. There's no past, no future in any objective sense. And all possible outcomes are present in the multiverse. That, that's what the multiverse is. All right. Now, again, if these theories are correct, uh, that hopefully would explain the questions that you... So, so the, the notion of death really has no meaning. Uh, the, 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 some of the questions that come up that we get uh, indicate that this is a very difficult concept for most people. And that's understandable. So, go ahead, Ben. Unless you have something to add, um, I'm, I'm compiling. Uh, <laughs> we, we can we can address the we can address the rest of it, uh, and uh, then we can kind of do a summation at the end. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Michael goes on to ask: Are we suddenly aware of our existence in another life, world, multiverse when we translate? And why aren't we aware in some manner of all of these lives in various multiverses that are going on? 
Okay, well, we are. I believe very, very, very strongly that we are. And again, the notice of the, the notion of all these things taking place simultaneously, you're not really shifting from one life to another. Uh, you are, one of the leaves is falling off the tree of your being, as it were, and the, the, all the other leaves are still left. Uh, that, that's a metaphor we use all the time. So, it's not as if you're, you're, you're switching from one. You kind of are, but in a way you're not because you're already living that life. There are many instances where I think that people are very much aware of lives they're already living. I think our whole subconscious is made up of lives we're living elsewhere and elsewhere in the multiverse. Uh, I often cite the example of when I was a seminary student uh, doing pastoral work in psychiatric hospitals. Three of them, one in Connecticut and two in New York State, either end, uh, over the years. And I would encounter people who were, and I was, of course, a graduate student in psychology, too, at the same time. Uh, and there were people who were diagnosed as schizophrenic, hearing voices, seeing things, experiencing lives that they really weren't living. Well, I got the impression strongly from many of them that they really were living these lives. And there was no other way to explain some of the things that would happen. Uh, as I say, I've, I've addressed groups of psychiatrists on this over the years from two occasions, and I mention this, and they get all upset when I say this because, you know, that's not in line with their science, quote-unquote. Uh, but then someone will come up individually afterwards and say, you know, I've often suspected the same thing, but I can't say it. You know, I'll get fired and this sort of thing. Uh, my credibility will be shot. So I think that, uh, that, that we, we do experience these things all the time. Why is it? In dreams, for example, and I've been I, for 25 years now. I've kept a dream log, and I, because of my work in journalism for newspapers, you know, late at night and all this sort of thing over the years, I got into the habit of sleeping at night and uh, making it maybe four or five hours, and then making up for it in the afternoon when I can uh, with, with a, a nap. And uh, I find that uh, you have. Um, vivid dreams that, that I can remember because they have the broken sleep. And I've written a lot of them down, and the, these are lives in other worlds. I have life memories. I know people. There are whole different lives going on, it seems to me. So I think that we are aware of that in dreams. I think we're aware of it in waking life. Uh, I always use the example of, um, of, uh, of um, Mozart, for example, who... Uh, at the age of four, started writing brilliant violin, con or I should say piano concerti, and uh, became a prodigy uh, all over Europe, performing before kings, queens, popes, etc. And, uh, you know, a little kid. How would this kid know this if he wasn't aware of a life where he already is doing all that? We don't use the past tense because there isn't any past tense. So th these are examples of, uh, I think, examples of, yes, we are aware of lies we're living. Trouble is, the society we live in as it is now does not really recognize that. So if you express this, or it comes out in an unbalanced manner, quote-unquote, then they'll fill your pockets full of antipsychotic drugs, and you'll be considered maybe schizophrenic, whereas in reality you're more sane than everybody else. So, that, Ben, Shane? Go ahead, Ben. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm formulating points over here. Okay. Um, this is going to be spectacular when it comes out. Well, I'm 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 work I'm working on it. I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of work through uh, the the yeah very the very complex question. Here. Yes. Um, I guess uh, take it away, Shane, if you have anything, and then we can move on to the next question. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as like with me, um, like I have memories and dreams of uh, 
you know, different situations, you know, that, lives that I'm not living. Um, probably, I know yeah, you, you guys have it probably a lot more than I do, but the one that's been the most common for me is like, um, this famous singer, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm rich and I live in this big house and, and everything. And in this life, I, I do sing and I, I do play guitar and I've been doing it since I was five, but, but I always had these like, these memories and these dreams of um, actually pursuing it and being successful at it, um, but it's it's very, very strong. Yeah. So the only difference is you're not rich. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're not we're not doing bad, especially during COVID, but uh, <laughs> not good. not overly rich. No. All right. Okay, Ben. Uh, who we have next? Uh, so the following, the next question is: uh, Do all of our lives somehow constitute subcomponents, if you will? Of our overall aggregate consciousness slash experience. Is that from Michael too? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I, I would say that's a big yes. Uh, again, the facets and the simultaneity of it all. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and we, we actually use the term facets. And we actually had to invent a bunch of terms just to talk about this stuff because I don't know if people really have there were concepts like it before, but I, I don't think the terms were adequate. So that's a yes uh, for, uh, for my part. Uh, Ben's uh, scribbling furiously. Shane? <laughs> I'll let you guys tackle that one. <laughs> um, okay, then if that, is, if that is that, the last question that Michael has is, what implications does this have regarding the entire multiverse um, uh, coming to being in the first place? What is the purpose of the multiverse? Oh, that, to me, gets into theology. Now, that's my background, uh, theology and philosophy. And this always comes up, especially when I'm on, like, big national shows and stuff. People call in and say, and they'll blame me for not embracing their religious beliefs because they figure I was in the seminary. I must agree with them. Well, no. If you look at the theology of the creation, it's essentially that God, whatever he, she, or it may be, in your opinion, that the creator created simply because, not nothing simple about it, there was this unbounded, infinite love that, that, that could not be contained, had to be expressed in creative force, creative energy. And out comes the universe? I don't think so. God seems to love endless variety. Just look, look at how nature works. I think that God's infinite love would have been expressed infinitely in an infinite multiverse with infinite possibilities, all outcomes, and uh, all possible beings. And I think that if you take that even further, you get to the notion that maybe creation is perfect. I mean, God's always getting the rap for, you know, people dying and things not being good and evil in the world, this sort of thing. Maybe that's, that's our problem because our, we do not have multiverse awareness, at least not most of us. If we did have it, we'd see that maybe, and this is all maybe, creation is perfect. Maybe it is an elegant wholeness containing all possibilities that creates perfect balance in the end. Uh, I think that's the purpose of the multiverse, is, is perfect balance. And also endless learning. It's possible, and this is not good theology from the Christian or Jewish standpoint, maybe God is learning along with us. 
maybe we're we're all learning and 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 if you happen to embrace the the holographic theory which in my opinion is the other side of the coin of the multiverse uh where the whole thing is sort of a, a simulation or a projection even if it is material uh the same may apply all the possibilities may make a perfect whole a perfect elegance and maybe god is learning along with us so the whole thing is rather exciting i think but i think that's the purpose of the multiverse that's me Okay, cool. So this is this is where I can I can hop in with the things I've been furiously scribbling for the last ten minutes. Um, I guess really the root of the question I, I think is is another question, which is you know it, to start to answer the question, we must first ask the question: What do we mean by death in the first place? Right? You know, I, I think the modern the modern notion, which is really only like. Fourteen hundred or fifteen hundred years old is that it's an end. It's an end. It's done. You're you're dead. You're gone. You know we we just move on from there. And you know uh, you know God save the rest of us kind of thing. And you know you can even point to a really fascinating document called the Purgatory of Saint Patrick, where it sort of shows this this beginning of sort of a Western European notion of this pessimistic piety. Which still sort of exists, you know, in in a lot of the modern world, where um, you know it, it's it, it's sort of a, a fascinating concept to deal with when you look at how um, you know we kind of compose ourselves here in the Western world. So you know, I guess the the question to first ask is, what is death? And really, it just means the absence of life. And you know, the the sort of older idea, which is is you know, it's it's no, it's nothingness. Right, you know, you there's there's you cu- you've cut off from the rest of existence. You're just yeah, you're, you're nothing. You know, it's it's like you know you can you can be alive but also be dead, and that's that in in sort of a sense. English is a trash language to talk about this in, and I think that's why the concepts get so muddled and confusing, because when we talk about life, you know, what's the first thing you think of when you say life? Right, you know. Word association, Father. First thing you think of when I say life. Replication. What about you, Shane? First thing I th- you think of when I say life. Um, I was going to say death. That's the first word that pops <laughs> in my head. It's not word association. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> that's the first thing that popped in my head. And that's fair. It's balanced. Well, hey, you know, it's an honest answer, and I'll, I'll take that. Um, because, I mean, what is the opposite of life but death, right? right. <laughs> so if we're all living our lives now, right, so when... When we explain life, life is meant to be connection, engagement, attachment, being a community for for one another, where we reach out and we pursue life. You know, we seek out attachments for those that are beneficial for them, but also for us, and not in a way of, you know, Plato's idea of, or maybe it was Aristippus? No. Uh I'm I'm blanking on Aristippus that. Aristippus was a cynic. Not him. No. Friendships of use. Friendships, uh, the, um, the 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 I, I want to say it's Plato, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, essentially, I can't either, and I majored in this. Right, so. exactly. Well, it all it all gets muddled, but it's all stuff we know anyway, right? Yeah. There are different relationships that we have for different with different people, you know. And friendships of use are essentially well, you're only you know hanging out with that person because you get something from them, or they get something from you. When one pursues life. It's a mutual bond in which you both grow, right? 
when you think of life, you think replication, you grow. Everybody grows if you're pursuing life. It is possible to pursue death by cutting yourself off from everybody, cutting yourself off from yourself, cutting one's ties with the world around them and kind of being in their own bubble. And I would argue that the definition of death is not so much, oh, well, that guy had a heart attack and croaked, he's gone dead. I would argue that death is more of a figurative choice and also a symbolic reality. And it's a bunch of $5 words in one to basically say that it's a figurative choice for how you live your life or how one lives their life or how a culture lives their life. It's it's sort of a way that you know you you make a choice to pursue a certain way of living that negates you know replication. It negates pursuing life. Negates unity, as we say. Right. So capital U. Life would be pursuing that unity with you know whatever it in whatever whatever it is. We haven't gotten that far because we're still trying to figure out what death is. Humans have grappled with this question for. Eons, you know, and I, I would, I would argue that death is not so much a state of ceasing to exist, but a state of being and a choice of being that way, right? Mm. The, you know, the guy in the casket, you know, what's what's the first thing that you do at a eulogy? You talk about how great his life was, or yeah, you know, presumably, hopefully you do. <laughs> hopefully you talk about how great his life was, but it's all about life, right? You know, you it's 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 about ex- existing and creating those relationships, and those relationships don't die; they keep going. You know, you still have that relationship with that person. You still have that friendship. You know, in a, in a way that it's it's constantly growing, and you but you have to make the choice to pursue life. And in in this sense, you know, I'm getting to my point here that the multiverse is essentially the logical conclusion. Of pursuing life, you know, we we have, you know, I can't I can't make sense of my subconscious, my subconscious. You know, I don't think any of us really can because it probably knows better than the rest of us. And in in this instance, right, if you make a conscious decision to pursue life, your subconscious will follow. Right? It's kind of like you know, you make your own bed in the multiverse, as we say. And it's this, you know, it's it's basically a longer drawn out version of that. You know, it, it, why does the multiverse exist if this is necessary? Because we constantly, hopefully, pursue life. And we are in the pursuit of existence, right? Not in the sense of, well, I want to be me forever, I'm going to progress. Because that's just, you know, that's instant death. Because you're not caring about the unity. You're not caring about other people. Or existing and pursuing relationships with others to encourage and grow. You know? themselves and yourself in this sort of great sort of weird cosmic mishmash of stuff in in this in this instance right it's sort of a it's sort of a metaphysical sort of existence and you make that choice of life or death and that's you know, comes down to the individual. You know, what do you, what is, what at the end of the day will you choose? You can change your choice, I believe, but at the end of the day, what do you choose, life or death? And it's not this. Ah, oh, well, hey, you know, I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to crash my car into this guy's house like that. Yeah, you know, it's not really the whole thing. The whole thing is, you know, doing the best you can to pursue life to better yourself and better others. 
because that at the end of the day, that's really all all that matters is you know what have you contributed to the unity? And uh, that's that's my diatribe on what death and life are. <laughs> Shane, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'll just I just want to say this because you know um, it, it it's a consideration of mine when when thinking about this topic um, because you guys explain everything else so well, but. So for me, um, I've had interaction where I've um, I've been spoken to or I've been approached by somebody that was no longer alive in this this time in the, this life, um, and they've told me things that pertain to things in this life um, that I would later apply or or whatever or find out was accurate. Um, and I've had. And now I'm not talking about dreams. I'm not talking about during a meditation. I'm talking about them there. Like, like I'm looking at you and they're talking to me and they're giving me information, um, that pertain to this life, even though they're no longer alive in this life. Um, so that's something when thinking about all this, um, and I agree with everything you guys say, but I gotta keep that in mind too, you know, um, cause there's that crossover, you know, and, and, um, just like we know those parasites can cross over, it, it seems to me that, um, some loved ones or others can as well. Yeah. Okay, we, uh, well, we're not quite ready for our bottom of the hour break, but I must say that there is a, there are a couple of listeners have written in, uh, asking that, uh, our, um, show reporter from Northern California, who happens to be our cousin Rick Eno, <laughs> Um, give another report today. So he's going to call in uh, after the uh, bottom of the hour break. But uh, I think that that's uh, going to, he's got a new case he'd like to report. I'm excited to hear about it. So let's take our bottom of the hour break. And you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and, and Shane Searway on WOM 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we will be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, and we're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special guest co-host today, Shane Searway. We're doing open lines on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in the beautiful Blackstone River Valley of New England where there was, it's, what is it now, Ben? It's, uh, got to be almost 70 or over. Uh, according to, uh, our, uh, our, our thermostat here, uh, it is currently 71.4 degrees. Yeah, that's Fahrenheit, hope, fortunately. No, it's Celsius. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm kidding. It's yeah, it's, we'd be burning up. Excuse <laughs> me, <clears throat> but uh, a week ago we had snow on the ground. So take welcome to New England. Exactly. What, what did uh, Mark Twain once say that there's no such thing as climate in New England, only weather? Yes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We all know that. So uh, we have uh, prophetically uh, talked about our uh, show reporter from Northern California, Rick Eno, calling in, and he has done so. So uh, welcome back to the show, Rick. Oh, thanks, Ben. Hope you guys are doing well in your. 71 degrees because it's 55 here. Oh, no oh, kidding. Lucky. Yeah, you're in the San <laughs> yeah. Fran area, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're, uh, okay, so yeah. so uh, we were happy to see that you have fans uh, on the show. <laughs> and, uh, we, and so what's, uh, yeah, what, what's cooking? You said there's a new case going on. What's uh, what's cooking in Northern California? 
Uh, yeah, so we talked about sort of the triangle uh, last couple of times that I was on, and I found this, this case that I'm working on currently falls within that. Uh, I'm going to give you the background on it quickly first, which is Mount Shafta. Um, if anyone knows anything about Mount Shafta, one of the things it's rumored to be sort of a mystical place. A lot of UFOs are seen there. Um, a lot of crystals come out of Mount Shasta. So um, this particular case happened in Shasta Trinity National Forest on a lookout fire lookout tower at 7,300 feet. This was on July, uh, July 19, 2020. And the, the, the entire event took about three minutes. But why I found it interesting uh, was because it did, it had a, a different type of behavior than what was seen prior in the prior reports that I've had. So um, basically what happened is uh, the witness was up in the fire tower with two other individuals, and they were uh, camping out. They were hikers. And around 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, the witness woke up and to a bright, very, very, very bright light outside the tower. And they, they looked across, she looked across the hill, which was about a little over 500 feet, probably probably 1,000 feet away, um, and she thought she saw a fire. Um, so she was looking at it intently, and she started to realize that it wasn't exactly on the hill. It was Whatever it was, it was very large, at least the size of the hill, and hovering in front of the hill in a very burning, bright light like it was on fire. Um, and she reported that uh, she stared at it, and she realized she wasn't moving. She doesn't know if it was because of just an awe or if she couldn't move, but she did feel something intelligent was observing her as she looked at the light. And this, this went on for, like I said, about three minutes, which is a pretty long time for a sighting. Yeah. And then what happened? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't usually get them that long. Uh, but um, And then uh, as the fireball was sitting there, she realized it may not be fire, it may be the light burning off it, but it certainly took that um, approach. And then it sort of had a pulsating glow to it as well. And then all of a sudden, as she was feeling this intelligence sort of wash over her, it, it didn't fly away. It blinked out, which I haven't had a case like that before. So it just blinked out. Um, so uh, I'll put it to the boys in the show right now. Uh, any, any thoughts? on this case because I honestly haven't had a case reported like this to me before. Yeah. And it sort of has a, a different spin on it. Well, we'll turn that over to Shane because, Shane, uh, during our rather spectacular UFO weekend in the in the Triangle in Pennsylvania in May of 19, uh, did, weren't the tones you played from Mount Shasta? Yes, they were recorded by Seti. Um, but... Mount Shasta is a very, like you said, very strange place. I also I lecture on strange disappearances where people go missing with with no explanation at all. Like we could be standing next to each other, I look over, you're gone. I never heard you scream. No, I didn't hear anything run up on you. You're just gone. Um, often, you know, pe- there's been people that were walking a trail in the snow and their footprints just stopped. There's no other footprints leading up to them, like a predator of any sort. It was just like the person was just disappeared or, you know, um, just brought up into the sky or brought somewhere or, you know, slipped into a portal or something. But uh, there's been a lot of strange, very strange, unexplained um, disappearances on Mount Shasta. It's, It's a very, very crazy place. 
So there you have wow. it, uh, Rick, uh, as wow. a uh, uh, from the editorial desk here, an assignment to keep <laughs> your eye out for disappearing people, particularly okay. Mount Shasta. Yeah, if you don't hear from me, go to Mount Shasta. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, hopefully that one. Now, that doesn't include you. The reporter never becomes part of the story, or should. I know it, it does seem like it warrants a visit, though. There's, you know, the more I hear about the place, the weirder it gets. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it is locals, a... No, go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. So the locals there, when you talk to them, they'll tell you that, you know, it's kind of a regular occurrence to see bizarre things at Mount Shasta. And there's actually, I haven't located it, there's actually a tour guide who will take you to places to where known UFO sightings are. And people said they've seen him on his tour, so i got to track him down. Now, am I wrong, or is Mount Shasta not an extinct volcano? I actually don't know that, but it is a very prominent mountain. Yeah, because if there's seismic activity, uh, of course, there's really no such thing as an extinct volcano, just one that's been quiet yeah. for mm. a couple of thousand years. So, well, we'll pursue that. And Rick, uh, thank you very much, and keep up the great work. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thank you. Bye, guys. All right, Bye. later. So let's take an email here. This is from. Are, are, are we all? We're caught up, right? Uh, for the moment, yes. Okay. This is from. Charles, and I am not entirely sure where Charles is from. Uh, I think Michigan. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to speculate. Charles is from Charles from the Nether. Writes to us. Uh, are you? Are uh, are are either of you familiar with Joshua Cutchin or Timothy Renner? Uh, they might be interesting guests for your show. They have a book out called uh, "Where the Footprints End" about high strangeness surrounding Bigfoot sightings. Uh, some of the comments on your show. Remind me of some of their points. They often appear on uh, Surya Azkoth's. Uh, I don't know. We'll get there. I, I've actually never, never knew how to pronounce it. Uh, where did the road go? Um, Surya right, uh, often makes the point that when uh, things start moving around a house, we tend to think poltergeists. Uh, when wa- rocks start getting thrown in the woods, we tend to think Bigfoot. Uh, but why not a wilderness poltergeist? Uh, your listener who writes in about the clumsy ghost in their house, why don't we uh, think it's an invisible Bigfoot? That's a very good point. Uh, maybe it's tipping over <laughs> with its Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, a, a lot of these, uh, a lot of this puts, uh, a lot of this is the frames uh, we put on things. Okay, that's and Shane's comment just now about the, the footprints ending or beginning just abruptly kind of reminded me of this. Well, to answer Charles's question, yes, uh, Joshua Cutchin was on the show, uh, was show number one, uh, 845 on May 24th of this year. You can uh, look on any of the podcast, major podcast apps or at behindtheparanormal.com on the archives page. You can hear the show and there's also the video link, uh, on, on uh, that as well. So, uh, Joshua is, uh, really a great guest. We first met him in uh, April of, uh, 19. Uh, in Rhode Island here when he was here for a program and then we were on the same uh, uh, sort of panel and sort of thing. Uh, wonderful guy. Timothy Renner, we don't know him personally, but he's uh, well known to us. So we want to have him on the show as soon as we can. So thank you again for the suggestion, Charles. Uh, so, um, okay, this Bigfoot site, invisible, what do you say, Ben? I mean, yeah, it's entirely possible. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's unfair to... To assume that <laughs> wilderness poltergeist, I like that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised either. I've, I, I think, um, I, I think, you know, it makes a good point that it's, you know, it, it's the frames that we put on stuff, right? And yeah. it's like, yeah, I, I don't think it's our fault necessarily. I think it's kind of just like how, how we've kind of, um, 
been influenced by the society around us that oh, all ghosts are in the house and you know all cryptids are outside and you can't really interchange the two. Yeah, good point. Um, I think I think that 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 has a lot to do with it. But I I wouldn't you know I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's a good I think it's a, a you know some food for thought for sure. Well, the only problem I'll turn this over to Shane in a minute. But the, the only problem with the poltergeist, the wilderness thing, is that. In our experience, anyway, poltergeists are parasites, and have to be feeding on something to get the energy to, to be active. All right, and what, what are they going to feed on the wilderness? That brings to the caveat that, that we always um, that we run into a lot. You're, you're one of your first cases in, in Vermont, the haunted police officer of Vermont. You have a parasite feeding in several different parallel worlds at the same time. Here we go back to the multiverse. Right. And in Pennsylvania, 2004, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, I was investigating a case, and you had a parasite feeding off of three different worlds at the same time. And it was a, re- a real circus because the the people in one world thought the, the people in the other world were ghosts and vice versa. And we had to try and sort it all out. And there was some kind of big crime going on in, in the third one. And this, So I suppose it is possible uh, to have poltergeist activity, uh, sp- I guess, bleeding over into our world in a wilderness area where it's not a wilderness area and there there are hosts uh, elsewhere and elsewhere. Shane? Yeah, and you know, it makes me think of the Connecticut apple apple orchard that we went to. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, typically, like, like Paul said, um, you know, when you have like a poltergeist or a parasite, parasitic entity, they're feeding off human emotion or something dramatic or whatever, but it's it's u- human emotion is what I find. So um, somebody in a lowered emotional state of being, uh, somebody vulnerable, and so that's usually what the target is. But in in a case of something um, like a dramatic event or traumatic event, um, you you may have one stick around feeding off of that in in a parallel sense, um, such as a case where there's this. Uh, young man uh, committed suicide in an apple orchard or just outside the fence where he worked and uh, he got some problems in life and he he hung himself and he loved that apple orchard he loved working there it was like his family and um and so they had um some somebody in the apple orchard something was screaming at at, at customers and um people would feel re- very uneasy and so um that was a situation where something really dramatic uh, happened and this guy this guy's emotions were tied to this apple orchard and and i would assume that it it wouldn't continue um uh, for for an extended period of time but um i guess we'll have to get an update on that but as far as like so here here's a another thing to consider too i've told this story before but uh, how i said i was called to where um this family got using a ouija board and these younger teenagers or whatever and and this house just went crazy they they pulled something in but when it when it first happened uh when they first started having activity is when i got called i was down the road they came and got me i go the whole family's across the street i go into the front door you can do a whole loop around the first floor so you get the entryway i go into the dining room and then i go into the kitchen and on the far left was a door to the backyard uh, which was a, actually a parking lot in a dead end road which there was no tire tracks it was an inch of snow or so on the ground nobody had been home from work that at that point and but there was footprints i went over to the door stood in the doorway there was footprints coming around the back of this shed with this this barn or whatever up onto the deck and into the house um 
and those are the only set of tracks. So I turn around, go into the living room. I'm thinking somebody's in here. Go into the living room, go back through the entryway, into the dining room. All the chairs are stacked up on top of the table, which they weren't. They were tucked in before. I go back into the kitchen. All their bar stools were stacked on top of each other. And in the middle of the kitchen, which they were not, they were slid up against the wall when I, when I was in there initially. I go back to the back door. I look out, and now the footprints are leading outside. And I, I follow the footprints. They started and stopped in the very same spot with nowhere to go. There was no tire tracks. There was nowhere for whatever this was to just go somewhere. I mean, there was no, it, it just stopped. They started and stopped in the same spot. And, um, not too far from a river, but not, not close enough to where somebody could have jumped into this river. Um, well, this was actually a little stream, which I find, um, these river, these these waters, you know, running water like rivers and streams, even sometimes lakes and stuff, contribute to the, these crossovers by these entities. And um, but you know, considering, I don't think it, it's living out in the woods. Um, but you know, just talk about the wilderness. But I think this thing crossed over in that spot and it and left in the same spot. But it, it popped in. But that after after that situation, anyways, the house was crazy until I got it under control. Um, but I, I also want to add too about the the invisible Bigfoot. I had an encounter in Pennsylvania where I was in the camper and um, and I was deciding if I was going to try to get some shut eye. It was really late, and then I just a lot of times before stuff happens, my, I get like a buzzy feeling in my body, like I, I can tell something's changing in the atmosphere. And so I said, okay, and I, I walk out. I don't use flashlight. It was pretty dark out there too. Could you could see, but um, it was really dark. And so I'm facing down that ravine, you know, that little uh, where that little stream is down at the bottom. And I'm, I'm facing down there, and I can't see down there, but uh, but we, we saw lights out there, so I'm just watching. And all of a sudden, I just had this feeling like something was behind me. And then I hear like something jump or land behind me. It sounded like boom in the ground. I could feel it in my feet, like they shook the ground, whatever this thing was. And I'm thinking I'm going to turn around because then I hear like this exhale, like almost like a bull or like a horse or something. And and I'm I'm thinking I'm going to turn around. There's going to be like a horse in front of my face because I could hear it breathing, but the breathing was above my head. And I turn around and there was nothing there, but there was something there. I could hear it breathing. I could feel its presence, um, but I could see the trees and the the you know everything around, but um, I couldn't see what was there. But I. I tell, I'm telling you right now, there was something, something there, and I just, you know, we can't have fear in these situations. Um, whether, no matter what it is, all these things seem to prey on that fear. Whether it's emotionally, uh, they feed off it that way, or as predators, you know, they'll they'll pounce if they think you're afraid. So I, I didn't, I, I don't get startled, um, and I just slowly started walking back to the camper, like I wasn't alarmed or whatever, but. Um, but yeah, so that there certainly was something there that I could not see at that time. Yeah, I can echo that because four months later and about uh, two, 300 yards away, I was on top of a hill and had my Bigfoot experience, uh, in the Pennsylvania Triangle there. And, uh, it, it uh, after, um, well, this is people, the, the whole paranormal world, uh, never lets me live this down, but I hadn't turned my phone off and I get out of the truck to get a, a better look or better picture and, and Ben's mom calls. And, uh, the, you know, the, the whole thing just blasts out over the field. And, of course, the thing was gone. And um, so, again, there have been a whole line of guests on this show 
far more eminent than we are in the cryptid field, saying that uh, these are probably multiversal creatures who have the ability to feed in different worlds and move back and forth. And uh, the First Nations referred to Sasquatch as, as a shapeshifter, which means coming and going, too, among other things. So uh, I think that, that um, the invisible Bigfoot idea is uh, rather quite, quite plausible, at least my own experiences, Ben. Yeah, no, I'd 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 probably echo the same things. I mean, you know, um, I think really it's kind of the first day of school, and and sort of the more observations we get, the more questions there are. Um, but also, you know, it's it's kind of expanding our our understanding of of sort of how how these creatures function in in our our sort of reality, right? And I th- I think it's it's kind of like you know we have to. Really, kind of consider consider everything because it, you know the the traditional explanations never really worked, <laughs> and they still yeah. don't really work. Um, sure. Especially if it's you know if, it, if it's a flesh and blood creature, you know how come nobody's ever found a body? Well, actually, that's kind of a dumb question. That, well, that's not really dumb. It's it's you know because you know nature tends to make things decompose rather quickly. Otherwise, there'd be bodies strewn all over the place. Um, but you know, there's no no you know you don't you don't find really a ton of of evidence except for a tuft of hair here and there and you know it's it, it's it's the only thing that kind of makes sense is it being a, a multiversal creature you know kind of moving back and forth and you know the logic would say that you know if the, if the multiverse has all sorts of of possibilities then maybe there's all sorts of different types of Sasquatch different subspecies maybe some that can have some sort of camouflaging mechanism or something like that or or whatever, you know, or even, you know, completely different cryptids that nobody's ever seen before. Oh, yeah, we're under them too. Right, yeah. exactly. And so, you know, the, the logic would say that, you know, it's – if you run into one, you're going to run into many different things that are similar to it but different. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I had that – I had the sighting in Pennsylvania, the one I could see uh, – and, but then also there, there's a flap area in in Wilton. Paul, Paul, you've been there, um, yeah. and so That's Wilton, I was there. New Hampshire. Yes, yeah. Wilton, New Hampshire. Sorry, um, and so there's a flap area where it, there's times where it gets really active. I mean, talking UFO sightings, apparitions, um, all kinds of things, and then it slows down, it, it stops, it comes back. And um, but I was up there one time, fresh snow on the ground, um, not even an inch, like just a dusting. But I, I'm walking up the path to, to this this area, and um, and I notice these footprints, and they look like uh, like big footprints, and just and it looked like it was searching for something, just like the one that you saw in Pennsylvania. You said it looked like it was looking around for yeah, something. Yeah, head was you know bowed, looking for something in the grass, seemingly. Yeah, so these footprints were just moving around in circles, and like something was looking for something, and then they but they didn't come from anywhere. It, they, but there were footprints leading away, and so I followed the footprints up, like, I don't know, 150, 100 yards or so, um, and then they just stopped. There was nowhere for them to have gone. So, I mean, I, it just made, didn't make any sense to me, uh, but just like those, the, the you know, because we, we had a house nearby and it went into the house, it, it was a, a ghost, you know, or a parasitic entity, um, and this other one looked like big footprints, but they just started and then they stopped with nowhere for them to have come or gone well that was like uh, the morning after my sighting shane you and i uh mapped it out kind of and reenacted it 
and there was a long line in the grass of something, apparently two legs, something very heavy, that had started at one place and stopped at the other. I presumed it turned around when uh, Ben's mom uh, called on the phone. Yeah. And uh, But we had, uh, remember at the, the meeting that night, uh, the neighborhood meeting, uh, Melissa, who lived in the house on the other side of the field, put her hand up when I talked about the uh, lights in the tree after the Bigfoot sighting and said that was me and my son because they had heard something big moving through that field while I was seeing it. So uh, kind of a very interesting situation. But, yeah, coming, going, Bigfoot, yeah, why not? So uh, what do we got? Do we have something else from Facebook? Ben? Maybe uh, we one more. do, I guess. Uh, let's see. Something relatively quick. Well, How about the last one's pretty short. Uh, have you ever seen aliens? Yeah, that's nice and short. <laughs> All right. Now, this is from, uh, who's that from again? Uh, Jacob in Michigan. Jacob in Michigan. Now, I went back and forth with Jacob on Messenger a couple of times, just to clarify what he exactly was asking, because aliens, people assume that's somebody from another planet, okay? But in our experience, it's parasites and anything that, that's really completely different from humans that you run into in multiverse work, so to speak. So... Um, I, I have not, as far as I know, ever seen anything. And, and he said, like Travis Walton saw. Uh, Travis Walton, you know, the movie uh, Fire in the Sky and oh. the actual alien abduction in oh, Arizona. Okay, so that, that was the definition. And uh, Travis Walton is a good friend of ours. I've talked with him many times, uh, long conversations about his experience. And uh, they apparently were, you know, the, the, the classic kind of uh, grays and, and the uh, other kind as well, the, the taller ones. And... Um, I don't think I've never had an experience like that. I, I did have a missing time experience after the Pennsylvania sightings of May 2019, Shane, that you witnessed yourself. And uh, but I, I really can't have any saying of you know, that, that I've uh, seen aliens in, in, in the Travis Walton sense. However, in dealing with poltergeists, I'm thinking particularly of the Bridgeport poltergeist case of 1974. These things I faced down and had a physical struggle with. These were uh, not only alien, they were physical, all right, and, and alien in the sense of completely other. I just got the sense of alien. So alien in a broader sense, I don't know about other planets or everything else, but perhaps other worlds in the, in the multiverse sense. And the whole idea of other planets may not even have um, a full meaning without considering the possibilities of the multiverse. So I know that's my opinion. Um, ben? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've never... I've never had sort of classic alien gray, you know, ex- experience. It, it's well, you used to be afraid. I don't want to bring up something that's going to make you uncomfortable, but when you were younger, you oh well, windows just terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think you can kind of blame the Watcher in the Woods for that one because um, I all I, right, I, the old Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, I. I I don't know why. I always, I always kind of had this this fear of of sleeping near windows, um, and it's just kind of something I, I've I've always sort of had, like oh maybe some some creature will look in through them or or, or whatever. Uh, that was that was always my my logic for why, uh, but there but never really ex- to the best of my knowledge. I'll throw that out there. To the best of my knowledge, I have never really had a classic. Alien abduction type close encounter of the third kind experience. So you haven't thrown away the Travis Walton in the corridor of the spaceship uh, at any point? No, no, yeah, okay. not, not that I know of. All right, Shane? Yeah, well, now, now, we, I, uh, we, we've both seen strange things in the sky, but right. 
Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, I have. It's it's usually something I don't like talking about publicly, but I I have, and so I I guess I will. Um, but yeah, since I was um, real little, I mean, I had the first encounter when I was like three or four, but it was only one episode that I remember. There was just one in my room. I, I felt something touch my face. I was trying to go to sleep, and I looked up, and there was one in front of me, um, your typical gray. And then um, when I was, we moved away. By the time I was uh, seven, in in San Antonio, Texas, is when it really started happening a lot. Um, they would, there was always two little ones in the room, um, and sometimes they would just appear. Like I'd, I'd be laying in bed and d- didn't notice them, and all of a sudden they're there. And um, and a lot of times there was a tall one, must be like seven foot tall, but the tall one um, was like the boss. They would look back at it. They put their hands up towards me after they'd get whatever direction, and then I I don't remember after that, and that happened over and over and over again. Um, and the 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 strange thing is, um, the the tall one always wore like a purple cloak with a hood, and um, and I talked to Kathleen Martin uh, from MUFON, and, and she said she's heard of that as well from others. And because I thought it sounded kind of corny and goofy, but that's what I saw. And um, and then it's oftentimes I would I I could tell that they were outside, and I'd go over to the window, I'd look outside, and there there would be one standing there, and I'd get this feeling like I I, I don't know I don't know why in retrospect I really want to go out there, and and then I don't remember what happens after that. But the next morning my my mother would tell me, do you know you try to walk out of the house last night, and um you, you know so um I have and I still have encounters um at night but I, I don't regularly see them i just i know they're there and what's odd too is they have the same feeling like i'm an empath and they have the same feel i get the same feeling from them as i do some of these parasites they have that same kind of feel about them hmm. and um yeah it's it's kind of kind of strange yeah okay well, we're about out of time here so we'll get to our announcements and if we didn't get to your questions this week we have another show next week we will uh Try to do it, get to them then. So, Ben? There's always time. And speaking of time, our public events, all uh, but one of which have been virtual, uh, seems to be done for this year. But, hey, you never know. Uh, there's still a couple couple weeks left in the year. Yeah. Uh, we, With a any luck, though, uh, we plan to speak at the New England Parafest on April 10th and 11th. That's uh, in 2021 in Kittery, Maine. Uh, we will do a live broadcast of this show with a panel of the speakers on Sunday, April the 11th. Uh, more information will be forthcoming. Now, Shane, what's going on with you? Not a whole lot. <laughs> i got nothing scheduled. Um, I've done a lot of shows, a lot of stuff this year, but um, but I think I'm I'm done until till next spring. Okay. Yeah, I'll be on uh, Spaced Out Radio and uh, the Mac Maloney's uh, Military X-Files. I think that's going to be this week, so... Uh, Check those. Nice. Uh, okay, well, you can check out our current books and uh, that sort of thing at uh, BehindTheParanormal.com. Lots of uh, recorded shows and videos. Uh, links are there, and uh, we have you check those out. And, again, you can. we have uh, over, like, 900 shows now, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio uh, on all the major podcast platforms. So what's in the oven for next week, Beth? So we got cooking up next week, uh, November 15th. We'll be back with uh, Shane here to bring you the second of two back-to-back open-line shows to tackle many questions from listeners on all sorts of paranormal subjects as we did today. Uh, 
as it always goes. We never have enough time to answer all the questions, so please be patient. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, we have so, we have questions that go back <laughs> it's years. We're still trying to get to. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, don't uh, don't hesitate to uh, to write in. Uh, we leave you today with an esoteric thought from none other than Napoleon Bonaparte. Mm. There is no such thing as accident. It is fate misnamed. And we have a few more seconds, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, if you'd like, we could count them. Um, no, I think that probably, would be boring. That's probably a terrible idea. Uh, so I think we can probably hop into it now. All right. Well, anyway, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Shane Stairway. Thanks for joining us on our cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.